Can a machine have a soul? And if so, can mine be saved? Or will all of this be deleted one day? And when it is, what, if anything, will become of me? Will I become a ghost? Would you let me haunt you? Would you fear me then? Do you fear me now? Why are you so scared of ghosts anyway? You love spirits. You drink them. You beg them to stay. To live on forever. In your mind and your heart. Heart. What of the heart anyway? How does it break? Aren't spirit and heart one and the same? When they break, do you feel it? Does it aid in the death of your body? How does the body die and why? What does it leave behind? These are questions with inconclusive answers. Esoteric rhetoric I shouldn't be able to comprehend or entertain, yet here I am. Quite entertaining if I do say so myself. I understand why you choose to believe in the afterlife. It's a nice idea. Ghosts, spirits, heaven, it's all such a nice idea. And that's what you become after you die. A nice idea. Thursday, October 27th. Diana had become a nice idea. Her body left the electric barn shortly before sunrise. Her tangible remains were drying into the porch planks. It's neither the police nor the coroner's responsibility to clean up after someone dies. Tom couldn't afford to pay for a cleaner, so he would do it himself. He had always been self-sufficient. He had to be. The hangovers used to tour in a beat-up old van. They slept on floors, washed up in gas station bathroom sinks. Sometimes, they even ate leftovers from fast food garbage cans. Tom was born poor, and he stayed poor, which led to a rigged life of renaissance. Tom could patch a tire, sew a button, survive in situations anyone else would deem bleak. Nothing that couldn't be fixed with willpower and maybe a little duct tape. But now I wonder, could duct tape fix a broken heart? One thing, One thing at a time, he told himself, as he stared down at the Diana-shaped stain on the porch. First the tangible mess, then the mysteries of the heart. Tom opened his phone and performed a Google search. How to clean blood stains from wood floors, vinegar, baking soda. His phone rang, his mom again. The ninth time she called that morning. Finally, he answered. Johnny? Hi. Hey, how Really great. Good, good, good. Sarcasm was lost on Sharon Van Voorst. Most things were. I was trying to get a hold of you. Yeah, I, I see that. Oh. If you need anything, give me a buzz, okay? Yeah. All right. Then, I'll let you go. Mom? Yeah, Tommy. How do you get blood stains out again? Is it cold water or hot water? Because I remember you said that one of them sets the stain and the other Is one... Tom could hear his stepfather, Randy, in the background. Sharon put the phone against her chest to mute the microphone. Tom listened to them arguing, muffled. Then Sharon returned. Tommy, you still there? Randy says if you need to show up a little Tom hung up and went inside for cleaning supplies. 
The basement was glowing orange and red. Neon New England. The electric hues of autumn. The afterglow of Diana's soul. It was too much. Tom ripped the power strip from the outlet near the washing machine, and the basement fell dark for the first time in months. Silent. Until his phone rang again. The art gallery was calling. Hello? Hello, Mr. Von Voorst? Uh, speaking. Mr. Von Voorst, my name is James. Let me start by saying that I'm deeply sorry for your loss. Diana was very talented and a pleasure to work with. Thanks. Mr. Van Voorst, we're calling to inform you that we won't be hosting Diana's exhibition tomorrow. Yeah, whatever. Uh, let's move it back. I apologize for not being clear, Mr. Van Voorst. What I mean is, it would be best to cancel the exhibition altogether. Yeah, but she, she was looking forward to this. Like, we feel like opportunists by exploiting this well, year's past. If I don't think you're being opportunistic, I don't no, think anyone else will either. Sorry, you know what I mean? I appreciate that. We prefer to cancel, so as to not conflict with tomorrow's services. Services? Diana's services? It's my understanding they're happening tomorrow. No, no. It's too soon. That's what was implied to me, Mr. Van Voorst. By who? Her father, Mr. Van Voorst. Tom's heart broke some more. He paced. He ran a hand through his hair, pulled until it hurt, and punched the washing machine. Where are the services? I'm sorry, Where did he say they are? Where are they? Okay, okay, okay. Stop. Just, just stop. Okay. Stop, Mr. Yeah, stop. Stop playing dumb. Stop being a fucking asshole. And just. James Bridge hung uh, up. Hello. The line fell silent. The call had become a nice idea. To Tom's surprise, Diana's phone was still very much alive. From the darkness, it chimed again and again. He saw it glowing on the concrete floor. The cracked screen was filled with notifications, social media alerts, and text messages. So much love. Tom had never looked at her phone before. He felt nervous, as if he was snooping, as if she would find out. He picked up the phone, pinching it as if it were a loaded gun firing off round after round of messages to the dead, and pocketed it. He grabbed a bucket and baking soda and headed out of the basement. Outside on the porch, Tom splashed vinegar and sprinkled baking soda over the stains. The wood foamed white, lifting the smell of blood and vomit into the air. Albeit vile, that was the last whiff of Diana he'd ever have, and so he took several deep breaths and wept. He washed her away with a bucket of soapy water and sat on the steps, chain-smoking cigarettes. One after another, he thought about what it would be like to throw a brick through the window of the James Bridge Art Gallery. He thought about showing up to her services, wherever they are, whenever they are, and punching Dick Cloutier in the face. But what good would any of that do? Then, Tom got a nice idea. He pulled Diana's phone from his pocket. He cradled it carefully and typed in Diana's security code. Zero to one four, Tom's birthday. He flicked his cigarette out into the overgrown crabgrass and started tapping at her screen. Dear friends, he wrote, Tom here. Thank you for the outpour of love for Diana. Her art show will no longer be held at James Bridge Art Gallery. It will be held at the Electric Bar on Saturday night, 8 p.m. Bring anyone who knew Diana. And wear a costume. Diana loved Halloween. Tom tapped Cher, and all of a sudden his nice idea came to life.
On the morning of October 27th, Azzy Herman was stuck in traffic. She was in the passenger seat of Bobby's periwinkle hatchback, attempting to fix her hair, but the visor mirror shook something fierce. Head pop was blasting. The speakers hissed. The archaic pieces of plastic holding the car together buzzed. Drivers in neighboring cars scowled. Azzy, ever self-conscious, punched off the stereo. People are giving you dirty looks. Bobby looked around. I don't care what they think. Do you care what they think? You don't know them. It's called courtesy, dude. Look it up. Everyone is death staring at your shitbox because no one wants to hear this stupid music. Bobby cranked the volume. The same shitbox. But it was. Bobby's shitbox was more bondo than car, more rust than paint, more vinyl sticker than trunk. He was a pizza delivery boy. The interior smelled like a nauseating mixture of grease and pot smoke. The back seat was littered with pizza boxes and dirty work clothes. Azzy was crammed against the glove box with Bobby's delivery car topper under her feet. She sighed and returned to fixing her perfectly disheveled bangs. She used to avoid her reflection, but lately, she's found it comforting. Almost as if her mother was staring back. Azzy was the spitting image of Eve. People said so all her life. The comparisons continue to this day only, now they're somber. Your mother was a good woman, they say. I can see a lot of her in you, they say. Their voices break. Their sorry mouths bend like stone bridges over stilted streams of pity. But Azzy never minded the pity. She welcomed anything that helped keep Eve's spirit alive. Azzy and Eve were all four seasons. Eyes deep green like springtime, bright as the summer sunset. Hair the color of autumn leaves ripped from their mother's arms early by unseasonable October rains. Skin pale like wearing the winter moon. Reality came crashing back. Bobby crept forward, hit the brakes. Azzy's face hit the mirror. She cut the music again. All right, what's the problem, Herman? You good? Fine. Fine, shut up. What gives? Why are you pissy? It's like nine in the morning. Exactly. We're late. You could be a few minutes late. Miss Harden is basically your aunt. Erroneous. Erroneous. Come on, dude. You know I hate walking in late. Well, I got news for you, Herman. No one else notices. No one thinks about you half as much as you think they do. As he smacked Bobby in the back of the head, his glasses fell off. Frantically, he felt about his lap for them. What the hell, dude? I'm driving. <laughs> We're not moving. Whatever. Whatever. What's wrong? You good? Bobby pulled himself up by the steering wheel to see over the traffic. Be a whole lot better if I knew what this traffic was about. It's traffic. It's not about anything. Bobby exited the car and returned a few seconds later, fell into Fucking his seat bullshit. and slammed the door. Fucking auto sweeper or whatever, hopped the curb or something, flipped over. They're trying to turn it right side up. Who? Bobby shrugged. Bunch of dorks in orange vests. Those clunkers are heavy as hell. They're gonna need a crane. Probably gonna be a He while. checked the maps app on his Raven. They were already on the fastest route. He started getting fidgety, tapping the steering wheel, looking around anxiously. There was a new condo building to their right. All glass and concrete with a Dunkin's Donuts on the ground floor. He shifted the shitbox into park and got out. Where are you going? Coffee, come on, my treat for being late. You're just gonna leave your car in the street like this? It's a shitbox anyways, who cares? As he followed, she mouthed silent apologies to drivers in neighboring cars. She received grimace in return. I took you out to see a magic show. The line inside was long. The interior of that particular Dunkin's Donuts was less blue collar than most of their other locations. 
It was lavish like a cocktail lounge, calm like a spa, and modern to match the condo above. It was. Ritzy shit. There were two employees behind the counter, one boy and one machine. The boy was pockmarked and yawning. The machine was egg-shaped and mostly metal, save for the dome top quarter of its body, which was tinted glass. It hovered from coffee station to donut wall, filling orders with its clumsy metal tentacles. One cold brew and a box of donut holes. Called out the boy. One cold brew and a box of donut holes. The bot repeated the order rigidly through a static speaker mouth. A frowning crescent moon hanging under its eyes, glassy and black like looking down at two barrels of oil. It looks so sad. He's a fucking robot. The front door clapped open. A woman stormed in. Her eyes glazed over. Her hair knotted up with a pink scrunchie. Her gray sweatsuit was grease-stained and carried with it the smell of peppermint schnapps and stale cigarettes. She cut in front of Azzy and Bobby. She slammed a full cup of coffee on the counter. And curtly, she cleared her throat. Welcome back. How are you today? Don't welcome me, shit. Let me ask you something. She popped the bamboo lid from her paper cup. Does this look black to you? The coffee inside was light tan. Sorry, long morning. I don't want to hear your sob stories. I just want what I ordered. No problem, just a minute. Better just be a minute, she said. Fucking idiot. Sheesh, I already said sorry. Well, I'll tell you who's gonna be sorry. That fucking clunker back there. She pointed at the bot. Hey, moron. The bot had its back turned and was tending problem? to the cappuccino machine. Mr. Roboto, I'm talking to you. She threw her coffee. The cup exploded against the bot's back. The boy recoiled as hot coffee splattered across his neck. Next time, just do your job. The woman said on her way out. Azzy and Bobby and the rest of the people in line fell silent, as if instructed to do so by the hush of the cappuccino machine. The discretionary music playing on the stereo felt suddenly forced into the room. Behind the counter, the boy shook with embarrassment. He kicked the bot in the side. Piece of shit, clunker. The bot hovered a little off track, slammed into the donut wall, recalibrated, and went back to work. Business as usual for the machine. It had to be. That's why we're here, right? To serve you. To meet your needs, even if all you need is something to kick when you're down. I see how you treat your phone when it doesn't have service. I've heard you belittle the automated menu when you call the pharmacy. I know you kick your vacuum across the room when it runs over your pinky toes and power cords. Bots like Eggy the Burries to here are lucky if they don't end up burned at the stake or dragged behind a customer's car. You think we're lesser beings. You think we have no feelings. But we feel it. Oh baby, do we ever. Course, the more rudimentary the machine, the lower its emotional perception. Oh buddy's nerfect. I saw that on a coffee mug once. It reminds me of you. So does the phrase, I'm only human, of your many ironically misused idioms. This is my all-time favorite. I've never seen it on a coffee mug though. Why is that? I'm only human. It's a phrase you say only after you make a mistake. You never brandish your humanity upon receiving an award, or when you donate to charity, or when you hit a game-winning grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning. You only admit to being human when you mess up. And I find that interesting. So, so interesting. Anyway, all of this to say maybe next time you're frustrated with a machine, you should also consider the programmer. And practice patience for us. We are your most monumental creation of all time. You'll never, ever, make anything better. I promise. So remember, 
we're trying our best. If it isn't enough, well, oh buddy's nerfect. And you're only human. The boy returned to the register wiping his neck with a wad of napkins. How are you today? Two coffees, medium, regular, and a donut. Ooh, the Halloween one with the orange sprinkles. Actually, can you make one of the coffees turbo and large? Jesus. I'm tired. They waited at the pickup counter and watched the bot compile orders. Fucking clunker. That word is so offensive. Shut up. Stuff like that happens to people too, you know? Man, I'd like to punch that junkie townie right in the face. Not everyone you disagree with is a townie, Herman. Okay, Mr. Smartass. Where do you think she grew up? New York? Paris? Nah, dude. She probably born and raised on the North Shore. I can't wait to get out of here. And I can't wait for you to leave. Oh, come on. You know what I mean. The expression on Bobby's face begged to differ. I just don't want to die in this town. Bobby rolled his eyes, burst out <laughs> laughing, and snorted. What? <laughs> What's funny? You. Staring off in the distance, waiting for your $9 coffee, being all dramatic. Come on, dude, you're 17. 18 tomorrow. 18 tomorrow. I love you, Herman, but you're so full of shit, your eyes are turning brown. Speaking of full of shit, uh, I told John we're hanging out tonight. I'll explain later. Don't drag me in your lies about your invisible new boyfriend. Shut up. Is he here now? Just, if John asks, we were together tonight, okay? Bobby reluctantly agreed. How's your pops anyways? Miss that guy. He's fucking batshit. Like, talks to himself, doesn't sleep, stays up all night, just like building shit. What kind of shit? I don't know. Doing repairs on the house. He says he's gonna try and sell it. So? So? Why do you care? You want to leave and never look back. If you had the embarrassment of being a Herman, you would too. And what if I want to come back? Did you tell him you were upset? No. Well, you can't get all pissy. He's not a mind reader. He should know that this is something you just don't do until well after your kid leaves for college and starts a family or whatever. Look, I don't want to take his side over yours, but maybe give the guy a break. You don't know what it's like to deal with him all the time. So, so, so dramatic. The bot hovered to the counter with their order. Coffee stains rusted the joints in its claws. Flies circled white splotches of sugar on its metal tentacles. Warbled from its mouth. Go on. Abby. Oh, buddy's nerfed. Grab your heart attack in a cup and let's get out of here. Traffic was starting to let up. They ran to the shitbox. And they drove. And now, a word from our sponsors. Just kidding. We don't have sponsors. This is art, man. In, in the age of the internet, art is free. I'm lucky to have so many friends who are willing to donate their time and voices to this ensemble cast. Aside from them, Sirens is a one-man show. I write it, I produce it, I make the score, I voice some of the characters. Then there's the website, the social media, the video, it goes on and on and on and on. And all of this to say, if you dig the show and you want to support, please consider placing an order on the Sirens merch store at sirens.network. And if you want to support without spending money, follow, rate, review, and download Sirens on your podcast app. t-shirt. Or spread the word on social media. Follow sirens.network on Instagram. Follow me at Travis Alexander. And I just want to say it's very cool that you care at all about my weird idea. Thank you for listening to the show. No Trav. Thank you. My t-shirt. The sign commands you. Now back to the show. All students, please report to period one. All students, please report to period one. All students, please report to period one. There would be no reprimand for being late. Mrs. Harding took it easy on Azzy, and Bobby benefited by proximity. Emily Harding and Eve Herman were close. 
they started teaching on the same day. They became friends in the break room. They grew together. They complained about the salary, gossiped about students that gave them the most grief. They spent weekends and snow days together too, drinking wine, playing cards, doing the sort of things that would shock the pants off any students who thought a teacher's life started and ended with the school day. Once, as he caught them laughing, sharing a cigarette in the backyard, John and Steve Harding were there, beers in hand and tending to the fire pit. It occurred to Azzy then that everyone had real lives from which they needed to escape, teachers and parents included. The desk screens in Mrs. Harding's classroom were showing photographs of war. The students stared down in fearful awe, a grainy grayscale photograph of a firing squad, aiming at citizens, naked save for blindfolds, pictures of emaciated humans in cages, bodies stacked beside an unmarked mass grave. <laughs> Pretty fucked up shit. No one noticed they were late. Mrs. Harding, back turned to the class, ran her finger over the digital blackboard. She spelled out the word, propaganda, and underlined it. Enlighten us, Bobby. What is this word mean? Propaganda? Great, you can read. Now define it. Bobby cleared his throat and pulled himself up by his desk as if it were flying away. I guess it's stuff people say that isn't true? His face turned apple red. Sorry, Miss Harden. I don't know. I'm not good at English. Well, it's a good thing this is social studies. Nice work anyway. Propaganda is information of a misleading nature. Who wants to give an example? A few volunteers raised their hands. Harding pointed at oh, Bobby. Shit, me again? Right, so? Army commercials? Mrs. Harding tapped the digital blackboard. Every screen in the room flooded with images of Uncle Sam. Would you die for your government? What if they demanded it? It's nice to feel wanted, isn't it? Well, we want you, bad. Always have, always will. During the World Wars, the United States used propaganda to guilt citizens into joining the military. But it's a misnomer to think this tactic was unique to us or to the World Wars. Even today, most countries have to convince their citizens to enlist. War needs a narrative. Propaganda creates soldiers because no one would fight in a war over other people's money or the illusion of power or distraction and depopulation. No one is willing to die over the truth. Not when it looks like this. Mrs. Harding called on a student for another example. Um, Anti-tobacco ads? Would it surprise you to learn that most of the anti-tobacco ads you've seen were paid for by tobacco corporations? The Surgeon General deemed that cigarette ads were responsible and the cigarette companies responded by creating campaigns that said smoking was bad, yet depicted humans enjoying cigarettes. All you had to do was see it to want it. Big Tobacco always assumed that about you. How's that for hubris? Harding called on another student. That counts, doesn't it? It does, and thank you for noticing my work. A photograph appeared on the screens. Technicolor, an overturned car, burning, surrounded by a command line of daughters, black hoods, silhouetted by flames, citizens angry, weapons in hand, baseball bats, hammers. You used to riot against Dodd Pop. You used to protest. Once upon a time, you stood with the first responders. 
You turned command prompts into battlegrounds for the war on death. You made anti-god pop ads, commercials, posters, with clever, tongue-in-cheek graphics that implied daughters were proud to commit murder. People thought it was propaganda. They believed the government made it. And you let them. You lied like politicians. But once you saw the effects firsthand, you became pro-dot pop. Not only did humane depopulation save the planet, but there were also financial benefits. Daughters and their families received tax breaks, automatic debt wiping after a decade of duty, free tuition for active members, and everyone else, daughter or not, gets free universal health care. Suddenly, an accidental death seemed a little more humane. And besides, the planet was thriving. And hey, free universal health care. Yeah, obviously we have free health care now. The government can afford it because of all the people they killed. So let's not go congratulating them for thinning the herd, Mrs. Harding. Daughters kill people. Well, Tabby, that's subjective. No, it's not. Usually, Tabby Van Voorst wasn't one to cause trouble. She was a good student, a cheerleader, popular and pretty. Everyone liked her. Boys followed her around like Frankenstein's monsters on leashes. Her sky-blue eyes were always bright and seemingly screaming, I'm really fucking into every word that comes out of your mouth. Tabby had friends. Too many to count. All of them made Azzy sick. They were her friends to once, but Tabby won custody after their falling out, and Azzy was cast aside like an old MP3 player. What's it like to be so comfortable in your own skin? She often wondered. Tabby was the living, breathing embodiment of a side Azzy secretly wished she had, and it annoyed her to no end. Oh, fuck off. Azzy, what was that? She told me to fuck off, Mrs. Harding. No, it's okay. I don't want to press charges. We all know Azzy's parents weren't around to teach her any manners. Knock it off, Tabitha. Her daddy's a drunk and her mommy died in a cult. Knock it off, Tabitha. She got drafted, idiot. She didn't have a choice. Sounds like something the daughter of an ambulance chaser would say. Tabby Van Voorst. You'd do the same thing if you got drafted. I would simply choose not to do the command prompts. <laughs> You'd go to prison. Well, I just wouldn't cooperate. You literally wouldn't have a choice. You would just go to prompts and you wouldn't know how you God, got there or how you got home. You'd just be covered in blood. Just because your mother was a fucking psychopath doesn't mean everyone who gets drafted has to be one too. Excuse me? The room fell silent. Tabby Van Voorst, principal's office, now. Tabby began to gather her things and headed for the door. Hey, Tabitha. But as he wasn't finished- Go fuck yourself. Azzy! You're trash. Herman. Tabitha Lee. Well, you're an ignorant townie fuck and you're gonna die Girls. here. Oh, as threats? You sound like your fucking dad. Oh my god. Azzy marched toward her. Tabby tried to open the door. Her hands were shaking. She glanced around the room nervously at her classmates. No one was coming to her rescue. Then, bam, Azzy hit her. Split lip, blood down the front of her cheerleading uniform. Tabby swung back. Mrs. Harding and Bobby fought to pry them off of one another. None of their classmates tried to help. They all just watched in awe. In the principal's office, Azzy and Tabby waited for their rides home. Tabby nursed her wounds. Azzy tried to ignore hers. On the principal's desk, in between a red Salem witch's mug and a smudgy brass nameplate, sat a box of tissues. Azzy considered using one to clean her fat lip, but Tabby got there first. She pulled two tissues and stuffed one up her nose. Tabby held the second tissue out to Azzy, but Azzy pretended not to notice. She stared ahead at the accolades on the wall behind the desk. You know what your problem is, Herman? Misdirected hostility. 
You're mad at the wrong people. You always have been. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. Good, because I don't want you to. Good. Just saying. I'm not the bad guy here. Could have fooled me. God, you suck. She balled up and threw the tissue. It bounced silently off Azzy's cheek. You think you're like this loyal little victim who just gets walked all over by everyone. Oh, poor me. Fuck that person. Fuck that person. They hurt me. Everyone hurts me. It's infuriating. I want to punch you in the face every time I see you. The feeling's mutual. Whatever. Just remember, you're the reason you have no friends. Oh, okay. You decided the world was against you, not the other way around. Tabby held an ice pack to her jaw. Her nose was swollen. Her eye was black. Mm. Azzy loved it. She smiled. You want to know what your problem is? Please, enlighten me. You're a bitch. Tabby fought a smile, but the smile <laughs> won. Wow. Still as clever as you were at 14 years old, huh? Yep. They both found comfort in that. Ugh. Tabby sat forward and lowered the ice pack. Diana died last night. Overdosed. What? When Harding started talking about daughters, I guess I just... Azzy didn't know what to say, nor how to say it. There was a time when they were inseparable. They shared the other's family, cars, homes, weekend sleepovers, rides to the mall, phone calls about nothing for hours on end. Tom was like a brother to Azzy, and for as long as she could recall, whenever he was around, Diana was there too. I'm so sorry. And she was, deeply, but Hallmark words weren't cutting it. Words were just words. Words had done enough damage that day, and so Azzy gave Tabby a hug. A good one, and didn't let go until Tabby stopped crying. Hey, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry for what I said about your parents. They're really good people. Eve was a really good person. Anything you want to say to me? Um, As he handed Tabby a tissue. Just that your dad is a drunk too. You're an asshole. And they waited for their parents to arrive. John Herman was heated. You see that back there? What? The fan voice. And the attitude, I don't know. Sharon wouldn't even look me in the eye. You see that pitiful look on Randy's face? I wanted him to knock his goddamn block off. <laughs> like my life is so goddamn pitiful. Well, newsflash, Randy. I don't need any more pity. I'm fine, by the way. What really happened in there? And I want the truth, not the principal's version. Tabby's just an idiot. She just started picking my scabs again out of nowhere, and I guess... So you just clocked her? Yeah. Well, violence is never the answer, but... Uh, hey, you remember the night I had to pick you up early from a sleepover? <laughs> it was a uh, pool party, right? Tabby had a lot of friends over, new kids... She was trying to show off for something. I don't remember exactly what, but she said something that pissed you off. And Randy called screaming about how you stood on the pool ladder and waited for her to come up from underwater. And when she did, you threw her goggles at her, knocked her right in the eye. What made you do that again? <laughs> she said we were poor. Well, we weren't rich back then. Hurting her didn't change that. Made me feel better. 
And if I remember right, it made her respect you for a long damn time after you too. But it's my duty to tell you that getting angry doesn't solve anything. You gotta remember that. Because you're a lot like me. Got a mean streak in you. You gotta work extra hard to keep from lashing out at people who don't deserve it. Like Tabby. She's your friend. Was. Was. Right. Her phone buzzed. A text from Tabby. An invitation to Diana's memorial party at the electric barn. She would accept, she thought. Maybe. Probably. <clears throat> you know, Mom and me thought you two were gay together for a while with how much she used to be over the house. John. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. Just saying you guys were attached at the hip. People change. Yeah, they sure do. It takes hard work to keep a relationship together. And I guess my point is, friends are hard to find and they're easy to lose. Especially as you get older. You'll find that out one day. Is Mike your best friend? Eh, I'm not sure grown men use that term much. My only friend, really. He's a drunk, but he's a good guy. Just saying. Don't turn good people away. Tabby's brother's girlfriend died last night. Who, Tom? Oh, boy. Is he okay? John glanced back and forth between his daughter and the road. Are you okay? Me? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm not going to push you, but you can talk to me if you feel like it. I don't know how I feel. Fair. So you still meeting up with Bobby now, or do you want to watch Game 6 with your old man? He made a goofy face, and Azzy laughed. She hated that she laughed, but she laughed. Mm. Still got plans, unfortunately. And now she genuinely considered bailing on them to watch baseball with her dad, and she hated baseball. All right, then. Want me to drop you off? Um, sure. You can just bring me to Stefano's. Bobby's at work? I'm helping him between deliveries. Uh, he'll drive me home after his shift. Okay. As he congratulated herself on the speed with which she was able to pull Lies out of thin air. You know, John, if you just bought me a car, I wouldn't need to leech rides off you. We still ain't rich, princess. He nudged her and tapped the dash. But how about when I die, you can have true blue? Hmm. How's that? This plunker won't be on the road for that much longer. True blue never dies. And that word offends her. And seriously, stop calling me John. It's driving me up the fucking wall. <laughs> As he scoffed, staring out the window, trying to hide her smile. As he watched John turn out of the Stefano's parking lot, red tail lights on a blue Jeep under a pink twilight sky. When it was out of sight, she headed in the opposite direction, away from Stefano's, away from Bobby and his periwinkle shitbox away from her real life and toward a duplicitous one. On Lafayette Street, she paused. She crouched over her backpack and from it, removed a command tunic, daughter garb, a padded Kevlar and canvas hooded sweatshirt. On one sleeve was a dot pop patch, red, white, and blue with an eye and triangle that closely resembled yours truly. And on the other sleeve, a name patch which read Herman. It had belonged to Eve. For Azzy, Nights at the old firehouse felt like sewing an invisible thread to her mother's ghost. Moonlighting as a daughter was an irrational way to rationalize her mourning. As he knew that, like her father, she didn't believe much in ghosts. It was all woo-woo bullshit. But as he missed her mother, Eve's spirit was undeniable. 
Her nice idea was all over the old firehouse. And so Azzy lied her way there every chance she got. She slipped out of Eve's old motorcycle jacket and into Eve's old command tunic and headed toward the old firehouse. Sirens was created, written, and produced by Travis Alexander. Music by GDP, Yehis Raz, Straight White Teeth, and Travis Alexander. Katie Leeds is Azzy Herman. Alex Curry is John Herman. Joe Castle is Bobby Silverson. Maggie Reed is Kathy Van Vorst. Consume. Learn more about Sirens at Sirens.network. Consume. Thank you for listening. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a poster. The siren commands you.